Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Jacob Marley is dead. This must be distinctly understood, or nothing wonderful can come of the podcast you are about to listen to. On Christmas Day, on Christmas Day, I saw three ships come sailing in on Christmas Day in the morning. Speaking of which, I've been watching more Star Trek lately. I I decided just to start cherry picking episodes. I think that's the best way to go about it. So what I do right now is... My YouTube feed knows that I like Star Trek, right? So it'll give me like little Picard and uh, data clips, like little quips that they say that are really funny or Picard speech. So if I like a clip, then I'm like, oh, I want to see what justified that speech. Like, why was Picard so angry at that one person, right? Or whatever. So I just, last night I watched uh, two episodes. Um, One I knew an iconic memeable moment from which was peak performance where data was in a video game chess match or something with the guy from total recall and the 1976 production of three penny opera singing the ballad (laughs) of Mac the knife. Yeah. This guy's got the deep cuts. Anyway, yeah, that was that was a heck of a pull. Is that the one where they have the things on their fingers and, yeah. and they have to like wave them around to play the game? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't the worst made up video game I've ever seen in something because it looked like there was some sort of like you're constantly moving like against somebody others move. Like I didn't get it because it's not supposed to be got, but it looked like there was something there. Yeah, which is Star better- Trek. That series of Star Trek does have the worst video game that anyone has ever created the worst fake video game is this the game yeah i have seen the original cgi clips of that yeah holy crap does that look bad like that is <laughs> so, so yeah there's so i, I that's on my list because i actually like the idea of that one I, right. I know i know the synopsis of the game i just haven't seen it uh the other one i, I it was an episode that i knew all about but i've never actually sat the way all the way through was uh deja q when q is kicked out of the uh of the oh Oh, he's kicked out of the continuum and continuum yeah Yeah. see i didn't even know the name i like i knew the continuum but like i couldn't like just pull it randomly i'm 33 about to be 34 when i was a young man i hated star trek and as i get older it's one of my favorite things in science fiction what the hell is happening to me just like what the hell is happening in this freaking movie 
with these two mice from Foggy London Town. There it is. We're back in Foggy London Town. We got uh, it, baby. <laughs> we got it. We made it there. Uh, welcome back, everybody. This is Jacob Marley is dead. It is a podcast where we become Trekkies in our old age, but mostly we talk about a Christmas Carol. I am your host, John. And I'm his sidekick, Jim, Jimmy, and I am, yeah, that's a little fun fact about me. John got there a little bit further, a little bit faster than me. He was a Trekkie from way back in the day. John, what started you on Star Trek while we're on the topic? Oh, man. Um, Believe it or not, I saw, I think I saw the movies first. Same. Yeah, I think I saw the movies first when I was like a teenager. They were on like sci-fi or AMC or, or you know whichever channel and then um i sort of ended up branching out from there i watched like the original series when it was on i think they were on dvd at my local library and i watched all the original series and then um branched out into uh next gen um ds9 is my favorite my my good friend sean got me into ds9 and that's will always probably be my favorite trek series we are watching the ambitiously titled Christmas Carol colon the movie starring Simon Callow uh, as Ebenezer Scrooge, but more significantly, Nicolas Cage as the ghost of Marley and Kate Winslet as a very much expanded Belle. I mean, if you wanted more Belle, this is the version for you, honestly. It's true. And, and look, you got Kate Winslet. That makes a lot of sense. She's this is 2001. This is released. So she's just coming off of like Titanic within that time period like this is and yet in a weird way this is not her peak she's got an oscar to come in the future and she just she gets bet kate winslet has been awesome i was gonna say she gets better with time but she has been awesome since day one yeah go watch peter jackson's heavenly creatures which is the movie he did right like not right before lord of the rings but like it was the first like drama serious drama he did right before lord of the rings he discovered kate winslet in that movie and it is if you don't know don't look up anything to do with that plot i went in completely blind and my head exploded by the end of that movie do yourself a favor go watch heavenly creatures don't do yourself a favor and watch christmas carol colon the movie yeah don't do that um, never do that never do that luckily we've done it for you so why don't we talk about it this is jacob marley is dead we're talking about christmas carol colon the movie was in those ships all three on christmas day on christmas day and what was in those ships all three on christmas day in the morning that's where it should be in the colon uh yeah Hey, I went the whole last episode without that joke. Give me, give, cut me some slack, Jack. I was pretty good for a whole first episode. It was sitting right there. Well, this this one might get us there. So when we last watched, Scrooge had had been dropped off by the the weird shape shifting ghost of Christmas Past, and uh, him and and uh, uh, Gabriel. And what do we call them? Skinflint. 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 The nameless mouse who we've dubbed Skinflint. Yeah. Uh, all kind of settled back into his bed. Now remind me. So this is this is the first time we've watched one of these movies and actually have 
broken up our recording. Uh, does he go back to sleep at this point? He does kind of go back to sleep. And I noted that because it really like this movie isn't consistent with how it's de- just de- depicting the events of the evening. Right. You want it. I, I always say you want it to be ambiguous, whether it's a dream, whether or not it's really happening. You can look. But if you're going to go all the way with either one, fine, go all the way with either one. If it's all a dream. Wonderful. If it's not also good. But this one just kind of keeps going in between the two of them. And it's not in a way that's trying to be ambiguous. It's actually like, no, he's, it's just, it's badly done. I don't know yeah. what they were trying yeah. to say here, but it's inconsistent, like, from moment to moment. And I think moment. that you mentioned last time the presence of the mice kind of makes it seem like, well, this must be real because the mice are reacting to it independent of Scrooge. 100%, John. And, it, and from there... It breaks down. It has to be happening. That's that's right, and and that's why there's no there's no way of saying it was it was a dream. But they keep cutting yeah. back like it. it oh. Yeah, five minutes in in this movie, which I watched a week ago, is hurting me still. Yeah, yeah. Well, Scrooge is old. He he squeezes in like a cat nap between each ghost, um, <laughs> and he's gonna need it because uh, the ghost of Christmas present shows up. No boy, does he ever. Yeah, the ghost of Christmas present shows up and we get our our next um, Harry Potter alumnus flashing back to our Blackadder episode and weirdly our second connection to Doctor Who and A Christmas Carol somehow. Right. So we have Simon Callow, who plays both Charles Dickens and Ebenezer Scrooge in this version, uh, who also plays or not Ebenezer Scrooge, but Simon. Oh, my gosh. Charles Dickens on multiple episodes of the the Doctor Who revival. And now we have freaking Dumbledore. <laughs> yeah, we do. Okay, I got to be 100% honest. When I was talking bad about this Ghost of Christmas present, that's because the batting average for this character has been crap. Yeah, I mean, bad honestly, so like we've had like one or two out of the seven or eight versions we've watched when and i've said this before i thought this was going to be a layup i thought this was going to be an easy to do ghost but apparently not but you know who does a really good job at this ghost you know who really doesn't let scrooge get away with anything dumbledore number two baby and i'm gonna go on record my favorite Ooh. yeah i like the last jedi don't think any of the sequels count and Dumbledore number two is my favorite. Come at me, internet. <laughs> wow. Wow. I got hot takes yeah. tonight. <laughs> hot. <laughs> steaming hot takes. Well, yeah. So Michael Gambon uh, voice acts the. Um, oh, that's his the ghost that's of. His yeah. Yeah. The ghost of Christmas present in this. And he's great. Uh, I really like him in this role a lot. I think he gives it the right gravitas it needs. Knows when to be gentle, knows when to be confused, actually, a little bit, just a smidge of it, but also knows, again, not to let Scrooge off the hook and throw his own consciousness and his own, like, his own, his own moral code right back at his face. Yeah. Um, and well, to pick up on what we were saying earlier, too, um, Michael Gambon, uh, also is in literally a doctor who version of a christmas carol as the scrooge figure so once again we have kind of weirdly multiple connections to specifically doctor who's versions of a christmas carol 
It's it's very weird and specific in this movie. We don't have it this episode, but I think the next time we do a British produced version of A Christmas Carol, like the we watch one, we really should keep a Doctor Who Harry Potter score sheet and see which one wins out between the two. Because I'm yeah. going to tell you, it's going to be close. The more of these we get, especially post Potter era, like, and I don't know how many of these remain in the last 20 years, but can't be less than 20. Like oh, yeah. there's at least one a year, probably made in that country there. So yeah, there's good. a lot of bleed over. So, um, you know, he's, he's, he's got the whole feast set up in here and he, so I feel like this, this ghost does like a slightly better version of the, I like life of that idea from, from Scrooge, the musical where they kind of had that ghost be more about, um, you know, Scrooge needs to learn to lighten up and enjoy things and not be, you know, such, a, such a gloomy Gus. I guess. And this ghost explicitly says to Scrooge, I come to teach you joy. Like this is sort of the lesson that he has to teach him is how to enjoy life and be happy and live in the moment, Um, which is a cool idea. And I don't know. It's interesting to me that that is something that has now come up in multiple versions of this because it's not really from the text. That's like an independent idea. It's a very modern interpretation of what the text is trying to say. The text is trying to say charity and goodwill towards men or people you know using the language from the text what it means there is to be charitable and do good deeds what here is more modern and i don't want to say selfish because i don't think it's quite that but it's definitely more about the individual than necessarily humanity as a whole i would feel yeah well and this is a version i guess that i don't know that it does this particularly well but it's definitely one of the versions that we've watched that is more like introspective about why scrooge is the way he is so there are a lot of versions where even in the novella we don't get a ton about like why scrooge does what he does we just know that he is a greedy self-absorbed kind of nihilistic person and he has to learn that it is important for him to be outside of himself and to help others and be charitable which is very like victorian morality and i think that when you see this in a more modern context people want to know well what made Scrooge the way he is? Like, what is the healing and the trauma that he has to overcome? And we saw that earlier with his father. So I think this ghost coming to be like, you need to be happy. Like, you need to see that life is a joyful thing that's meant to be savored and not just this thing to be moved through unhappily. Yeah, and that's a definitely a, a, a better way of looking at it. It is interesting, though, that as we go through the ages, how I don't know. I feel like certain emphasis on like the greed is taken away from it a little bit. Yeah. How like being a greedy, selfish person is a bad thing. Okay. And I, I, I just, I'm, I, I fear that as we get more into the, that aspect of the character about lack of joy, that we lose analyzing that aspect of it. It's a very, I don't know. I got a, I got a bad feeling that the closer we get to present day, that that's going to take the place of the moral of the story more and more. And we're going to lose the fact that, hey, maybe don't just hoard all the money for yourself. Jeff Bezos! Uh, so, you know. <laughs> what? What? Yeah, yeah. Come on, Elon. Um, well, do you want to talk about Ebenezer Scrooge's magical mystery tour? <laughs> hello, hello. He's at a place so... called Vertigo. Yeah, not the Beatles. So... I know, people. <laughs> <laughs> God, we're going to get so many emails. I don't um, care. Yeah. So Dumbledore, uh, 
Oh my, I'm going to call him Dumbledore the whole episode. Son of a gun. Uh, the ghost Stop. of Christmas present tells Scrooge that he's come to teach him joy. And then he gives him, I guess, a hit of LSD because he goes on a trip. Like it is. Yeah, they, they cut this with the milk of humanity. All right. Like, so they took a little, uh, <laughs> they took a little Coke. They cut it with the milk of humanity, put a little uh, sparkle, sparkle in it. And uh, sparkle, sparkle. Freaking everybody's enjoying the season. So this is this is really this is where you see the Jimmy Murakami in this, right? Mm. This is I mean, basically what happens is that scene from the snowman where they're flying to the North Pole to meet Santa Claus. I mean, that's that's basically what this is, but trippier because it's all so Scrooge and the ghost are flying, you know, over London. And this is the sequence where the ghost is taking him out to, you know, see the people. Going about their Christmas plans. They're flying through the sky tonight. The best part of the film, (laughs) the reason it was made. (laughs) I mean, honestly, this should have been the whole movie, right? Like this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it doesn't all have to be this, this trippy, but at least this level of like attempting to make an art piece. You do a Richard Williams version of this for 22 minutes, right? Where you, I would treat it like the snowman, completely silent. Just use your visuals, stick to the visuals. And heck, you could even have the Dickens intro, which the original snowman did have. The original snowman had a live live action intro by David Bowie, where he was, you got to watch it, John. You got to watch it because it's, it's David Bowie just walking through the snow and he comes up into the attic and he finds a, finds a sweater and goes or the or the scarf or wearing goes, there was a real snowman and it's like david bowie's like looking into your soul i think that is the that's the re-release that is the re-release that's the re- yeah the original one it's just, it's a different guy and he's i just looked this up yesterday he's just walking in the snow Lame. he's like that was when i made the snowman that's the version i grew up with David so I've, Bowie? Ne- I've never seen i've no i've never seen the david bowie version oh. i've only ever seen the original i'm gonna have to check it out high quality recorded off a of pbs vhs tape right here nice watch that thing till it fell apart here's that tape real quick snowman was the first thing then the then star wars after the crawl and then mary poppins wow good stuff one vhs tape best childhood all right so yeah so the visuals in this it's a lot of um Coming a very cranky old man, John. <laughs> uh, yeah, for reals. I guess we all are. Oh, um, yeah. I, I feel like calling it trippy is like doing it a disservice because it's it's really beautiful. I mean, it's 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 impressionist. It's like got this weird like, impressionistic is a great is a great yeah, like that's that's what the vibe is like. This is if you freezed it at any moment, this could be a framed painting type of deal. Like they're the colors are very vibrant and and like it, Trippy is just when you compare it to the crappy animation and the rest of it, which is the yeah. which is where you see that this project must have gone off the rails somewhere because this is what the style of the entire movie should have been. And I bet this is how they got the names of a lot of the actors in this movie, right? What's the name of the animator again, the director? Uh, Jimmy Murakami. Jimmy Murakami does He the had snow- a track record by this point. Right, he did The Snowman. He had done a couple other things of like note and like yeah, when the wind or where the wind blows was right. another big one. So you got all these things, and I'm sure Kate Winslet, Winslet looking to do something big or look to do something, you know, that matters sees the name 
sees that's animated, this could be as a big as a Disney movie. And it could have. You could have done this in a way that this could have gotten an initial release in the UK and then a worldwide release if it was of something of real high quality. Sure. Sadly, it was not. Sure. So, yeah, the the ghost is is pouring out, you know, his Christmas cheer or milk of human kindness or whatever out of his horn. And uh, at one point he lets Scrooge take it. <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> yeah, and Scrooge gets to pour some out until they get to the workhouse. And then Scrooge is like, no, <laughs> I'm not going to do it. Why? And the spirit's like, hmm. Why is Scrooge Palpatine? (laughs) (laughs) No. Good. So, yeah, which I thought was very funny because there's no dialogue about it. It's all just like visual. Like he just isn't pouring it out on the workhouse and the spirit's like, hang on. And then he grabs it and spreads his Christmas cheer all around. It's a ballet, just like the snowman. It's told visually, not with words. And that could have been the entire piece. Uh, I'm looking forward to one that does that. I'm sure it's out there, a ballet version of this. I think that would be really interesting to see. A ballet of A Christmas Carol? Yeah. Oh, that'd be interesting. Uh, there must be. There, there uh, must look, be. There, there's an opera about Walt Disney being the reason why America is falling apart. An opera. There's a there's a ballet about A Christmas Carol. There's there's so <laughs> many. You know what that Walt Disney play, opera is called? America. Weird. Yeah. Yeah, so many artists think they're clever. That's very, that's very like up your own butt avant garde. Um, uh, I I literally have one note about the Fred scene, and that note is Fred scene. So I guess a scene, a Fred scene happened. I barely remember it, John, and that's not just because it was a week ago since I've seen this movie. It was that quick. It yeah. was it's like a carny ride up and down and gone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, basically, it's it's um. It's Fred talking about how Scrooge is he's going to invite Scrooge every year and blah, blah, blah. Like the the thing we usually come to expect. None of the fun. They always cut like the party games and stuff out of the Fred scene. What is up with these adaptations? They cut out the game. The whole point is that even the nephew, the one who loves Scrooge, maybe the most at this moment in Scrooge's life, honestly. Yeah. He is the one that still is bragging on Scrooge in this game. He comes up with the joke. That's a that's a deep cut and hurt that Scrooge needs to see. He can and it works even better if you get the amazing speech Fred could give right before that about he's always going to try for his uncle. And then he does the joke because both things can be true. And that's what that scene is supposed to represent. Your family will always love you, but they can still make fun of you once in a while if you're a bit of a jerk. And they always muck this up. And I don't get it is there what could be the reason do they think fred's gonna come across too much as a bad guy i maybe it's just a a matter of in in a film like this where you you have a limited amount of time to get across the story beats and this has a bunch of extra stuff yeah oh right oh my god it does now that's avalanching back into my memory yeah yeah so this has all that all that extra extra business with bell so i feel like they've got to cut corners and fred's party is usually the corner to cut just because you can get across like the importance of fred's party in a couple of sentences it's not it undercuts the character a lot um and it undercuts scrooge's journey a lot because fruit like 
Scrooge and Fred, their relationship is about Scrooge's unresolved feelings about the death of his sister Mm -hmm. that he hasn't learned to get over, which is important if you're doing an introspective Christmas carol. But whatever, this movie decided that it didn't want to do that. Um, And instead, we get a scene of uh, debt collectors kicking people out of their homes. And, And this is the first time. So there's this whole thing, right, where old Joe is working for Scrooge and kind of has like a goon squad going around evicting people that owe Scrooge money. And Scrooge like didn't want to be involved. That was his whole thing. He was just like, you go do it. Just bring me my cut. I don't, I don't need to know anything about it. And here he has to kind of face it. Yeah. He has to see his works in action and he has to see what Joe is doing. And it's not pleasant. I mean, this is what the powerful always want to do. The powerful always want to, Pass the buck of who's got to do their dirty deeds. Okay. Yeah. I, mean, I think this is a, a relatively strong point of this because we don't often, aside from like when Scrooge sees Bob, we don't often see Scrooge have to reckon with like, oh, I'm putting families and children on the streets. We never see him directly have to react to that. No, I like this choice. And I kind of wish we see it in other ones and better ones moving forward because I think a, a really good live action Scrooge having to look at this. Yeah could have a completely different type of epiphany and breakdown at that moment that would just add more and more up until the graveyard scene. Like this is a, yeah. this is a great foundation to build on Scrooge's redemption. It's just not a great version of a Christmas Carol for, yeah. but it's a yeah. great effort. It's, and it's a right call for this movie, especially with all the stuff with old Joe, he needs to see this. If he doesn't see this, then he really can't be redeemed at the end. And it's cutting it close by that, you know, as it is. Yeah, yeah. This this movie treads this really this really narrow line of showing us a lot of like the worst things that Scrooge does, mm-hmm. but then still expecting us to kind of forgive him in the end. And I think that you can push that to the point where it's difficult to forgive a person who has spent their whole life being that awful Mm -hmm. as an audience person like you sit back and you're like wow this guy is like a scumbag who has benefited from doing this his whole life but now in his 11th hour he's going to be like oh i repent of all this can we forgive him and i think that when you're making a film of a christmas carol you really need to be careful of like how much of this you show and how much you're like uh, I can't show this because there's like a point of no return with this character where if the audience can't forgive him, then the whole movie falls apart because he needs to be forgiven in the end. And would you consider, John, one of those unforgivable things to be throwing a bucket of ice cold water onto Tiny Tim just after they got out of the hospital? See, here's the thing, right? Like if he was intentionally like, I'm going to kill that kid. Sure. He was tossing water at a bunch of carolers. So all I think of it as is like really bad writing. It's just like a bad, but really good aim, (laughs) like really good aim. Like he got tiny Tim. It was it. If he got everybody in the crowd, it would not be as bad as a visual. Like he got everybody like he, yeah, they really want you to know that it all hit tiny Tim in a way like the water behaves not correctly. And you could look, he's in the center. So logically, he's going to get a lot of the water, right? Because he's aimed at the center. Bad, bad animation. Like, that's the problem. Like, this movie has, like, great animation at one moment, and then something you would buy at the dollar store at another. Well, what I don't love is that uh, because this debt collector scene happens here and Scrooge is kind of a butthead about it, the the ghost of Christmas present is like, well, you know what? We're going to we're let's let's shuffle some things around here. I want to do ignorance of one right here. 
right here. Which, if you know the script, you're like, wait, are they skipping Cratchit's house? Yeah, that's what I thought. Well, and also, but here's the thing. I also thought they were skipping the charity collectors because Jacob Marley, like, they move things around in here. And so I get get it. I get why you show Scrooge the debt collectors and then put ignorance in one in. What I, like, those two things in combination make a lot of sense to me. What I don't understand is why you do that before Cratchit's house. I I don't get it. I, uh, some, somebody somewhere, and I don't mean to be mean, got it in their head that this had to go and this is how these always happen that when you have a situation where it doesn't really make any logical sense somebody really believed that this had to go there i feel like like or somebody made it well and there's no reason that one thing needs to follow anything else because so much of what happens in these visions is vignettes it's just like we're gonna see fred and we're gonna see bob and we're gonna see this and that and the and like they don't really need to happen in any particular order to make sense as a narrative but it's a little weird that they're not choosing to end this sequence with ignorance and want because it's such a natural transition into the ghost of christmas uh future i just don't i don't get it I somebody somewhere must have had some thought like maybe we need to end on Tiny Tim to give the the importance to the Tiny Tim character because well, yeah that would make sense with how they've changed the stakes with that in this one but but I look at it from like you you want to leave with what you got right and, and sorry you want to end the sequence with your best right and the best thing here is actually ignorance and what yeah it's Ho- very good holy cow we're burying the lead ignorance and what kick some freaking butt here yeah what? it's re- it's really good richard williams watch out like this doesn't beat it but it comes close well and it's good in a it's it's good in a similar way because he kind of like moves scrooge into this like black void space and then ignorance and want come out and they're really like harrowing they're really really haunting looking it's in it's insane and by the way going back a second i always want this scene done with a black background and just these characters and then you don't know where the heck they are you try to give this form and a location it why why bother put put everything into this moment with these kids let all the focus be on them because that's the point that is the point that we have to acknowledge this and Great job by Dumbledore here with this monologue of like ignorance and want like it's it's a different monologue than the book, right? Because the in, in the book, ignorance and want is more of like, here's the last thing I have to talk to you about. And it's this high concept like, you know, the world is full of these two things and they are like leached on like a cancer to the Christmas season. And it is your responsibility as a person of means to deal with them. Right. Because if you don't, then they're they're going to like just suck the life out of all of us, whatever. In this version, he's giving Scrooge like a more specific lesson, like Scrooge doesn't care or at least pretends not to care that these people are being thrown into the street because, you know, it's just business, blah, blah, blah. And and so ignorance and want in this case serve to be like you want to be ignorant of this situation here's what your ignorance is going to reap for you. And it's this like kid whose face literally like rots and the skin pulls away from his skull in this movie with like the cute mice, right? With the cute little mice. I'm eating it up, John. I was loving every second of it. That's when this, this movie went from like really like mad to bad to like 11 in one sequence. Like, yeah. And again, it's not perfect, but this goes to Christmas present sequence. And especially this moment, 
do a lot to save this movie yeah. from being a yeah. dumpster fire. Like yeah. this, wow, great. And like their eyes. Animators, I guess, really must love the opportunity to do Ignorance and Want because they're playing with like the Disney big eyes idea a little bit here. Yeah. But then like turning it on its head and making it gross. Yeah. And I, ooh, this is perfect. They're, yeah, because they're like toddler scale and really pathetic and then terrifying all in this like one quick moment i wonder if the making them so young is like maybe representative of their christmas spirit is young and is being like almost like killed in the crib in a sense like like sure like like they like they're they're which is going back to what the uh ghost of christmas present was saying in the beginning like you've lost the joy like you've lost how to enjoy life these two things ignorance and want they're so young because that's going to be gone they're yeah. never going to mature into anything besides this. And two things. One, Dickens rocks. And two, this was a great moment. Like, that's yeah. just it. Like, yeah. that. this is great. This is this yeah. is perfect. Uh, what's not so perfect <laughs> is is Bob Cratchit being a cuck for the 1% in the next scene. So. <laughs> this is not my Bob Cratchit. This is. Ooh, I, hated I want this i want that i want that singing gin swelling fop from scrooge back yeah by the way scrooge is looking like awesome by like like comparison like i know i've said this previous couple episodes but like man i bagged on that movie i have to keep apologizing to scrooge <laughs> because i didn't know how good i had it so thank you very much thank you very much <laughs> Oh my! I I remember when we were watching when we were talking about that episode, and you were like really railing on it hard. And I feel like we were two episodes in, and I was like, "Oh, Jim, there's so much worse to come." I've <laughs> I've been to the other side. <laughs> you know, I thought I was Sisyphus looking down the mountain, right? Yeah, and I could just walk down. It was going to be a casual stroll all the way back up. No, I'm. I am face behind the boulder right now, pushing this thing up and it is just getting heavier and heavier. And I can't do this, John. <laughs> Who thought it was a good idea to have Bob Cratchit defend Scrooge after Scrooge doused his poor kid with ice cold flipping water. Yeah. Really bad. Really, really bad. So it, it's the Cratchit house. And Unlike our, our normal uh, dinner where like the family's, you know, all together and whatnot. I mean, some of that stuff happens, but also like Tim is sick again. So he's Tim is in... dying. Yeah, he's he's dying. Right. He ain't making it to next Christmas, which we know spoilers. But still, like it's like he might not make it to Christmas. He might not make it to Boxing Day at this rate. Sure. And uh, we're like capital punishment worst of all sins bob cratchit is de is basically defending scrooge to his family when all of them know that it was scrooge that poured the water on tim and got him sick right after he was in the hospital there are a few things you can do to you, you can do a lot of things to bob cratchit but one of the things that you cannot do is have him be completely ignorant of who scrooge is mrs cratchit has the line in most versions bob you know him better than most, right? Bob has to know who this guy is, really. Yeah. And if yeah, he totally. does, if he doesn't, then he's the biggest fool in the whole damn thing. And we have no sympathy for him. And just when I think I've seen the worst Bob Cratchit, 
just when I think I've seen the worst Bob Cratchit. They make one that is worse, not because of the performance, not because of that, but because of the choices they made in the creative process of the script. Yeah, yeah, I don't get it. I don't get it. You and I mean, I don't, I don't need Bob to be like perfect and cheerful and whatnot all the time. But like this, this scene rang so false to me that that this guy would be like, "Oh no, my boss is fine. Really, he murdered my son, but whatever, it's fine." Right? Like, you yeah. know, he needs. You could even do what the actual actions that have happened, right? But you just have to just you have to sell it the right way. Bob has to be always so defeated. He has to have these moments like he has to have something there. What you can't do is have that. But then he has that scene with Belle in the first episode where he turns her away. That makes him a jerk before we have any sympathy for him. This is this is not how you book a baby face. Okay, you want a hero. You don't book him like this. Yeah, no, no, it's not great. Um, and and that's kind of what Scrooge is left with. He's sort of left with the knowledge that he did this, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not any. <sighs> so here's my thing with this this whole part of this movie. This makes it about like S- Scrooge could have been anybody. Like he could have just been some woman throwing water out her window and gotten Tiny Tim sick this way. Like tiny tim's illness and eventual death has to be the result of scrooge not just like scrooge like i don't like christmas carolers it's scrooge's greed and stinginess and whole lifestyle is going to kill tiny tim because scrooge's lifestyle and scrooge's choices impact bob and bob's salary and keep bob living in like a little shack with his family and unable to give them enough food and unable to keep them in clothes right because they have to like pawn their clothes or buy clothes from a pawn shop and tiny tim dies because of that because they can't afford to keep him well and they can't afford the doctor right that is what it is about and this choice to have it be like oh he threw water on him so he's going to die removes that it's not part of the systemic problem it's just part of this one thing that happened to create a ticking clock for this movie right where we don't need it we don't need a ticking clock because the ticking clock is scrooge has these three ghosts to change his mind and fix it that's the like there's a built-in ticking clock we don't need to introduce all this other horse crap like oh no the, the the hospital for orphans is gonna get shut down right like they're adding stakes where they don't need to be one. And the yeah. and what really, like you said, it's Scrooge's philosophy. It's his way he sees the world is what's going to kill Tiny Tim. And people who are like-minded, maybe not the worst as he is, right? Like, he's, they're not as bad as he. But, like, this whole way of looking at the world that Scrooge is just a part of, that society is going to kill Tiny Tim. Right. And, nope, one maybe cruel maybe a different act is what kills tiny tim bs you're you're 100 right john this is a bad choice yeah it's so it's so monumentally frustrating like i don't know a single person who has ever read a christmas carol and been like this is fine but i wish the stakes were higher like who is that person who's the person that looked at this and, and was like this is the problem i need to solve I don't have it in me, John, to do the uh, producer voice tonight, John. I can't, I can't, I can't, <laughs> I can't bust out, you know, I can't bust out uh, Mr. Foggy London Town because it, if I do, I mean, like, okay, now here's the deal. You got all these people, right? Like, you got all these people and like, wait, what's happened in this movie? He's just, 
What? He's, he's if, he, if he doesn't change his ways, he dies and gets a nice silver chain or something? I, I like chains. That's not good enough. What if... What, oh, I get it. I get it. What if Scrooge, like, gets mad at some careless, right? And he dumps a bunch of water on the head of Tiny Tim. Hey, you like that, you little cripple? You like that? Like, and like... Like, he gets, like, he gets really up in his face with it, right? And then, and then, you know what else is happening? Like, he's got, like, people, like, kicking in doors and, like, arresting babies and stuff like that. Like, yeah, that's, that's what we need. That'll make, this'll, this'll sell. You know what we can do? We'll sell it to Disney through one of the sister companies. They won't put the actual logo on it, but we'll get the distribution. And we'll get in the Blockbuster video. And we'll get a nice uh, cut check from that. Make it happen. Thanks, producer guy. I hate that guy. I hate him so much, John. Because he ruins every version. He really he does. does. He, really, he does. He does. It's all his fault. I hate that um, guy so much. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> at, at risk of uh, ruining this podcast, we need to pay our clerk. So we're going to take a quick ad break here. And when we come back, we'll figure out how this all wraps up. So stick around. I stopped your half a crown for it. You'd think yourself ill-used, wouldn't you? Hmm? But you don't think me ill-used if I pay a day's wages for no work, do you? Hmm? Jeez, only one cigar, sir. It's a poor excuse for picking a man's pocket every 25th of December. Hi, everybody. If you're anything like me, you've been listening to podcasts pretty much as long as podcasts have been a thing. And you've always dreamed that one day you would find a topic you were really passionate about and you would make that dream podcast yourself. Unfortunately, in today's day and age when everybody and their mom and their mom's dog has a podcast and there are so many different podcast hosting platforms to choose from, it can be a little bit difficult to find something that fits both your needs and your budget. And that is where Anchor comes in. If you are someone just breaking into the podcast scene and you're looking for a place to uh, get started hosting your podcast, Anchor is a great choice. For starters, it's totally free. There's no charge to host the files that you need for your podcast. It also has creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. So if you're someone who hasn't broken into using GarageBand or Audacity or a more professional program to record your podcast... Anchor has all of the tools you need to record right from your phone or computer. Anchor also provides seamless distribution to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many other podcast platforms, so it's really easy for you to reach a broad audience. If you're looking to monetize your podcast, you can do so with no minimum listenership through Anchor. Just record an ad and put a sponsorship segment in your show, and you're good to go. It's everything that you need to make a podcast right in one place. If you want to get started recording that podcast you've always dreamed about today, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. And we are back. Uh, and right away, <laughs> we're just gonna we're just gonna kill Tiny Tim. Uh, yeah, <laughs> they're not yeah. wasting any time. So this Ghost of Christmas Future shows up. I was into this a lot. I thought this Ghost of Christmas Future design was a high point of this movie. Now that we've made it to the Ghost, of, well, first of all, let's talk about what this ghost looks like, John. I yeah, remind me a little bit. What does this guy look like so much? So so this was the one. It, it's like the 
This Ghost of Christmas Future is very fast. I mean, it's usually fast. This has to be the fastest one we've seen, right? Um, Scrooge is is kind of moved from uh, the disappearance of the Ghost of Christmas present into this smoky sort of ephemeral space, right? He's never he's never really in any of the places until the graveyard. Which is why, going back a second, which is why you need to have ignorance and want in the Ghost of Christmas present right before Ghost of yeah, Christmas Future. it would have been a better transition. You already established a location by making it very abstract, by pulling more of the real world away, because he's getting closer to the grave, you know? Like, he's getting closer yeah. to the darkness and the nothingness and the lack of a possible future, because he's just seeing flips of a future that he can't really change. And right. You need you you need to put that sequence right there, and so this is nice. I like this. I like the way they're panning around and stuff like that. It's a, I don't think it's the most revolutionary idea for this moment, but that's not that that's not necessarily a bad thing. You yeah, go- for this movie, it's like a visually interesting thing to look at. And once again, all three of the of the spirits, not Marley, but the three ghosts, have been really like kind of a visual treat, right? Especially, right. uh, the sequences kind of of them taking Scrooge to where he needs to be. Um, This ghost is really cool. It kind of like, like, like billows in and out of the scene, almost like smoke. It's huge. So, and I feel like a lot of times when we get this ghost, it's kind of just like a monolithic figure in black that stands out a little bit from the background because of its like dark cloak and whatever. In this version, it's almost like part of the smoke in the background and it's kind of fading in and out. You can see a vaguely skeletal face and hands in the robe. It's very cool. It's how I would... Spoilers for when we get to it. I won't tell you who my ghost of Christmas future is going to be the other time, another episode, but this is how I want my ghost to act. I do yeah. not want my ghost just standing there. I want it to move with the wind and, and the fate of what is yeah. happening, but also got, like you said, like everything you just said, wonderful visual. And it gives the character that is silent a voice. Yeah. And it yeah, really it's works. Very cool. There is something to be said for the stoic, just finger point of doom. Like that's great, but this is a wonderful and my preferred interpretation, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's very cool. Um, so right away, like I said, we, we get that Tim died, uh, presumably, and like that christmas right december 26 <laughs> that's why bob shows up late the, that day because he was there with his dead kid <laughs> yeah and to be clear they they set like they set the stage for it really early on because you know scrooge sent his goons to collect the debt from the doctor at the children's hospital right so he's in debtor's prison so he can't help anybody and scrooge threw water on tiny tim so tiny tim has you know victorian poor person hypothermia or whatever and and the letter is in scrooge's pocket the letter from bell that explains the whole situation right just waiting for him to pull it out and read it right and that's like the the checkoff's really stupid gun that's hanging over this whole thing but it all depends on Scrooge learning his lesson so that when he reads that letter, he has a change of heart or whatever. Ah, man, this sucks. Like the, the pacing of this sucks. The I'm sorry. I'm just it, it really just exhausts me how they're off the point here. And like they're just. So backing up, first of all, you've got Tiny Tim just dying right away. So that's that should always be the second to last, if not the last thing you see in the future right like you should like 
I even sometimes think it should be like just right before the tombstone or something like or the headstone because it's it's it really is the crux of it, right? And you get that information, and then boom, Scrooge can't never do anything about it because he's also dead before it happened. Like it's like it's yeah. done, it's done, and that's why Scrooge has to have it. Like I can go back and change it, right? And, and you and you got this goon squad here, and I don't want to say the movie was starting to give up at this point, but it wasn't. It wasn't completely given a hundred percent in certain aspects of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's also interesting, so we get the businessmen. Um, a little brief glimpse of the businessmen talking about the Scrooge funeral. One of the businessmen was wearing very modern looking glasses. And I don't know why that detail stood out for me enough to take a note. It was just a bad design choice. You can't um, draw the nose, but you can make the glasses look like from like 2010. Come on, man. Yeah, like, yeah. this is made 2001. That's actually kind of impressive when you think about it. <laughs> but still. Um, what does happen here is Scrooge knows he's dead before they get to the graveyard. They don't really bury the lead on it. And because of how fast this moves along, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that. It's an interesting idea. Ain't um, right about it either. Like it just, it yeah. just, again, this is just, it's in attempting to make the stakes even greater. They've made you the think, stakes nothing. Yeah. Do you think that this sequence is even five minutes long? I'm not going to go rent it again to check, but I feel like it can't possibly be more than five minutes tops five tops five and that's yeah. pushing it like i would yeah if i had to give a number i'd say three minutes and 45 seconds off my memory it was yeah. fast and you nothing landed and they did a lot of stuff and backing yeah. up to all of it you're telling me there's only one doctor in foggy london town there's not yeah <laughs> There's not that another... falls apart a little bit the second you think about it. Right? <laughs> There's not one other charitable doctor that you couldn't go to, that you couldn't spread the word to your neighbors and find just somebody. Speaking of the doctor, Bell and the doctor are the are, are the debtors in this version. So oh. in the in the novella, there's this sequence, right, where, where these this young couple finds out that Scrooge is dead and they're overjoyed by it. And and um in this version, you know, Belle and this doctor kind of play that role because they discover that um, because Scrooge is dead, their debt's going to be transferred, I guess, back to Leech. This was a weird twist here because what Scrooge said right before this was, show me some compassion and kindness with this death, right? Like, show me yeah. some something here. And we do see it, but it's not how the scene is traditionally played. It's yeah. Belle. Belle is sad by Scrooge's death because Belle still loves Scrooge. Sure. And 20, 20 years later, and, she's still hung up on this jerk. And that would almost be clever if it wasn't flippin' stupid. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, and then we're at the graveyard. If this feels like we just kind of blew over it, we probably gave it more attention than the movie did, if I'm being we, totally honest. We doubled the time of the sequence, I bet. Like, there's no yeah. way we did it. Like, friends... This is just going to keep happening. Some of these versions are just going to blow by something that we think really needs to be given like merit and time and like, nope. So we get to the to the grave and something happens here that I actually really like. Um, it's not that Marley comes back because Marley comes back for for a second here to wrap Scrooge up in his chains and begin to drag him to the afterlife. Um, but Scrooge looks back and he sees Bob 
weeping over the grave and Scrooge's last act before Marley drags him off to you know, hell or wherever purgatory that he's going is to call out to Bob. I'm sorry. I'm sorry about your boy. I can change it. I'll change it. And he's like throwing money at him. It's a really, really good button on this sequence. And it makes me wish this movie wasn't so bad. It's a tale of two movies. And I think even the opening scene tells you that. You yeah. have Dickens. Literally, he's right there on stage, right? The text is on stage. Then this little flipping mouse shows up. <laughs> yeah, it's all Gabriel's and, fault. And screws up the whole thing. And to Dickens' credit, he says on stage, I'll tell you the version of a Christmas tarot. Maybe not 100% accurate. I'll, I'll shoehorn this mouse that you all got distracted by, which, by the way, is a clever storytelling trick, if I haven't mentioned that before. That's how you do hold an audience after they've been completely thrown by something that has happened. Yeah. That being said, why am I going to pay $5 to rent, $10 to buy, and $15 if this was in theaters nowadays to go and see this piece of crap? I'm not going yeah, to. No. I don't no. want this mouse stuff in here. So I like that idea. I always love the visual because I love the visual of throwing the money and the money does nothing. Because yeah. money is really Fugazi. It's it's not real. It's it's not it, it doesn't freaking matter. Like it's not yeah. a real yeah. thing. It's it's Scrooge. Money is literally just a reflection of our our collective agreement of its worth and our intentions. It's not like it's just cotton fibers and metal. That's it, it means nothing. It means nothing. It means that the people that have power can hold on to power by some sort of imaginary BS. Yeah. That being said, I love the visual of him throwing this stuff of that we think is merit. This is our God. This is our money. Throwing it at Bob and nothing happens. Anytime I see that visual in A Christmas Carol, double thumbs up from Jim. Yeah, yeah, really great. And then uh, and then he's back in his room. And yeah. it turns out they did it all in one night. Of course they can. They can do anything they like. Uh, and he's still a jerk. Yeah, yeah. So this is, this is a Scrooge that has to have a couple of little relapses before he reaches true recovery. Um, so he opens the window and he calls down to the street to the kid and the kid gives him some smart response and Scrooge is a jerk to him. And it's not even the most smart Alex thing we've seen. Like we've seen the kid in the street, give it back to Scrooge. I think yeah. last time we did, right? Like, yeah. uh, like we've seen that and it works. It's a, it's a good choice, right? Not this way. <laughs> Cause the yeah, kid gives no. him nothing really, not really yeah. that much sarcasm. And Scrooge is just still, I'll murder your child Scrooge. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's so he's looking he goes... for the water. He's looking at the water because the kid gave him some lip. He's like, "Where did I leave that bucket of water? I'm gonna murder." I got, I got it right here. Here we go. I got it. <laughs> um. So he goes over to his like vanity, right? And he's looking at himself in the mirror, and then he's like talking himself through whatever he has to talk himself through to be like, "Oh no, I've got to, I've got to change. I remembered. I've got to do whatever." Um. So he he and. He goes back and he like apologizes and they do that whole scene where he's like sending him to go get the, the turkey and, and whatnot. Right. And what's interesting about this, right, is what the film is casually implying by the way the scene is played out is that Scrooge thinks he can buy his redemption, which is a really interesting take. 
I don't know if it's a good take, but he believes that in this moment. And the film is saying to us, even after all these things he's been through, he's not there yet. One last thing has to happen. This is not good. This is bad. This is a bad, bad lesson to be teaching people. This is, it's one thing to say that you can make amends and you can go back and you can try to fix your problem. That's one yeah. thing. To say I can buy back my salvation. It's well, almost, in the movie. It's almost like somebody somewhere once told me that it was kind of hard to do that. Like somebody it's harder <laughs> for a rich harder for a rich man to do. I, I don't know who said it and I don't know the exact like something about it's hard for a rich man to do something. Get get to the kingdom or something. I don't know exactly what it's like. Well, I, here's here's what I will say. The movie is not saying that Scrooge can buy back his redemption. And we know this because when Scrooge goes over to uh, get dressed and go outside, we see him in the mirror. And in the mirror, he is still in chains. It's a brief little flash. So we see that even though he thinks that doing this nice thing is reforming him, he's still in chains. So the movie is saying he hasn't learned it yet. He still needs to figure out the lesson. Then um, what the hell were the three ghosts doing? That's a great question. What did you waste my hour and a half of my life on if they didn't do diddly squat to this guy? Yeah. yeah. He needs to wake up out of that dream and had a come to Jesus moment where he was like, it's full on. Like it needs to be joy shock and all these other things happening when that's why he jumps out of bed and he's as he's as giddy as a schoolboy. he doesn't know what to do because he's yeah. full of a new life because he is born again he is not born again he is in the process of being born and he is misshapen and wrong but it's true like i i do think that there's a there there is a implied like journey that scrooge goes on where literally he goes from himself as a child watches his life sees the things that he's done wrong dies right encounters death and then and comes back again like he rises like a phoenix from the ashes right he is i mean it is kind of like a born again experience that he has where he comes out and he's like i have a second chance Right. right. And my life is going to change. So this movie does undercut it a little bit because they're trying to, to squeeze in this narrative with him and Bell. Right. And that is ultimately what this is about. So he goes outside. Oh, no, God, there's so much other stuff. So then he reads the letter and very little is made of this letter. Right. He reads the letter and he's like, oh, it's from Bell. And she says, I got to do this. And after all this time. It was really frustrating to me that this letter wasn't like the moment, but it really isn't the like if you're going to make the letter, the letter, which it has done, it has set up this letter as this moment, then I'm going to need some time with this letter and Scrooge. I'm going to need Scrooge holding it. I'm going to need Scrooge shaking it and quivering with it in his hands. I need Scrooge to drop it and then maybe even try to catch it as he drops it because it is Bell. That it yeah. is Belle, and he's got a link back to her. If you're going to do this, you've got to... I'll give you a comparison of two versions of a scene. One where somebody succeeded, one where failed. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, right? The Tim Burton version. And sure. Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, all right? I was watching a review the other night, and they pointed this out. When Charlie, in the original version, opens up the chocolate bar, 
they slowly reveal it, right? It is this beautiful, slow pace, wonderfully edited sequence where it builds up and the time is given to the, the golden ticket. Spoilers. In the Tim Burton version, you're watching somebody else, you cut back to Charlie, he's already gotten his hands completely unfolded out. This is that type of same deal where like, oh, I got the golden ticket. I'm off to see Belle. Like, yeah. it's like, no, you need to, like, you've built it up. Of course, it shouldn't be this long, though, because we're right near the end of the movie. But you have structured the movie around this letter where it has to matter that much. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So. Side note, I hate the Timber in Willy Wonka movie. It's horrible. Yeah, that's a whole separate conversation we could have. Um. Uh, Scrooge decides that he's going to feed the streets of London uh, and goes out and he buys... Uh, well, no, first he feeds the mice. And I think we're supposed to be like, oh, he feeds the mice. He's generous now, but he's been doing that the whole time. So it doesn't mean anything because this movie is so stupid. Um, yeah, let's. I think we need to give the mice a final either here or right in live action. No, there's a moment where we will give the okay, mice their okay. due. We need, <laughs> we need at least to spend a little bit more time on the mice because like we've said in the last episode, we haven't really talked about them this up in this episode. They're throughout the entire flipping thing, doing little yeah. shenanigans, yeah. and we'll yeah. get to them in a second. But, but it's the same; it's all the same stuff that we were talking about last time, where it's just like two characters are having like a relatively mature dialogue, and you cut away to the mice doing some BS so that the kids don't start to fall asleep. I, That's literally why they're in here. It's the same thing that shady producer guy was talking about in the last episode. It's just, it's just like bad choices. He can't come out twice in one episode, John. He just you can't. also can't have a movie like. Like, ah, you can't have a movie where you watch a child's face dissolve away from its bare grinning skull and also have cute mice playing throughout 30% of the movie. You can't have both those things exist in the same space. I think somewhere there is footage of the dialogue, right, happening while the mice were doing stuff that was fully animated and just cut to put the mice in. I bet there might be at least storyboarded a version of this movie without the mice in it at all. Uh, yeah, I really wonder because it it's it's a tonal nightmare. Um, yeah, and then so after he feeds the mice, he gives the mice this like feast and then he goes out and he buys like a bunch of oranges and he's just handing them out to everybody and uh, including the charity workers, but he doesn't give them money. He just kind of hands them an orange and walks away, which may be worse than them not showing up again at all. It is worse and it... <sighs> Why is it so It's like played hard? for a gag. It's a gag. Why is it so hard to do the charity workers? I I don't is is it just because people feel like they need to put their own spin on these things so they have some creative like ownership over it? Dickens nailed this. You can cut things, you can shrink things, but you don't alter things to the point where they just hurt what you're trying to do more than build upon it. It's weird. It's so weird. And and there's so many mixed messages happening because in the midst of this sequence, he has another like kind of mini LSD trip where he floats around and two of the three ghosts show up. So Christmas past and Christmas present show up. And I guess Christmas future is death. So that's out of the picture, right? Mm -hmm. That's off the table for the time being. There's no like moment that he has with death, but they seem to be like approving of him where he is, right? And the music in the sequence 
is uh really beautiful like the 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 orchestration that goes on right here is really really lovely it kind of stood out to me and I, overall I, rem- I remember thinking this music is way too good for this movie <laughs> yeah yeah well and almost as if um almost as if the this movie realized this uh scrooge is about to discover that the the hospital has been shut down right and okay he opens the door and this hospital which admittedly was for low-income families and probably didn't have the best like upkeep and stuff like that but was full of patients and nurses and a doctor the one doctor in foggy london town right there was one doctor but it was i was working the day before it's been one day scrooge walks in and it looks like the abandoned house from Link's awakening there are cobwebs there's floor panels missing it there's a glass like what happened to this hospital within 24 not even 24 hours 12 hours like what has happened here so as if the movie knew that we were getting too caught up in this music uh we get a a late 90s early 2000s pop single every sung by kate winslet that plays over most of the rest of this movie look i get it kate winslet is a big star she signed on to this movie to a to do a christmas carol to work with the guy that did a snowman to work with a couple of other really good voice acting people it's good to have that on your credit got her sister a job let's be honest about it right like she's in there for some reason maybe an actor actor in their own right but like got her got him a job and to sing the peak of generic 90s pop songs that went along with animated movies like you're saying like like this is like they all sound the same no matter what movie it is because it's like take let's take the main song from a thing and make a jazz like r&b version like with that like sparkly i don't know what the the instrument is with all the little like the little that's the guy's part sounds yeah exactly and then the and then she comes in songs they were they, they were they were in everything they were in disney movies like go back they're in disney oh, movies yeah. like they're yeah. like in there they're in crappy animated movies like this they're in king's quest six oh king's quest six john did we finish that game no we never finished it john you lost out on hearing the greatest love ballad ever Girl in the tower, I'm calling out, I'm here and I need you. Girl in the tower, whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) Drop that in here. Nobody will do a copyright claim. (laughs) (laughs) I I think your version might stand. I don't know. It's, um, it's it's completely a tone shift it's bad and it's yeah well and what happens is is like after scrooge sees the hospital this music comes in because scrooge is sad Aww. and he's like charlie brown walking around london because he was too late to save the hospital <laughs> or something 
I want to re-edit this footage now with the Charlie Brown sad Christmas music playing underneath. Bum, 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 bum. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and old Joe's like standing there with his blankie like, the real meaning of Christmas is collecting on debtors who don't pay up. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> He goes to old Joe to try to get the money back. And Joe's like, what are you talking about? This is a business deal. So Scrooge is like, well, you're fired and we're never doing this again. Uh, and that's, you know, the worst thing that happens to old Joe is. He should have he reported. Joe should have been doing something illegal in the acts so that Scrooge could see it in the present scene. <laughs> and he gets narked on by the ghost of Christmas present. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like Scrooge is there. He sees like, Oh, Joe is not like children doing this thing or something like that. So then Scrooge reports him to the authorities. And then Scrooge is like seen in the public eye of doing something good. Like, sure. Like I'm just, like, he would have to explain how he knew, which might get a little, oh, inky, come on, but... come on. They were making up evidence all the time back then. Like they would, it's a rich man telling them to go arrest somebody. What do you mean? Don't back do then? it. What? I said, what do you mean back then? Right, right. A rich man tells somebody tells the cops to go arrest somebody. They're going to go do it. Yeah. Um, debt collectors, police being used as debt collectors. What? So he eventually that night, he literally wanders around the entire day because we know he get, got up like Christmas morning and bought oranges and then went straight to the hospital. Um, and didn't then go didn't, to church. <laughs> didn't. Well, yeah, who knows? Because all he's doing is is wandering around um, and he ends up running into bell oh. that night as he's wandering around and this scene between them uh sucks pretty bad it's horrible it's pretty bad um it's it's poor kate winslet <sighs> poor kate it's... winslet she's trying her best both of them they're both trying with a very just yeah, Simon painful script and and i don't i just don't like this i don't like this scrooge that feels defeated and irredeemable at this point in the story look simon had to work with what he had let's be honest we're there so you're an actor and you're given this script you're we're both actors john you're gonna try to rise to the challenge you're gonna try to make this work and with sure. what he's given what, what what kate's given they really do try. They are they're trying here, but you can try, you can try, but you just can't polish a turd and yeah. it's bad. Yeah. There's a lot of people trying attempting very hard to polish this turd and it's just not it's not coming clean. It, um, Cuz it's a turd, you can't get it clean. <laughs> so the the thrust of this scene is basically like sort of them resolving their issues but also like there's it's it's like weirdly heavy for this moment and she's kind of like she's like mad at him because like because he like bob was a jerk to her i guess at the counting house and then scrooge has to kind of like win her over that like things have changed and we are we are left weirdly in a more vague place with their relationship at the end of this than i expected to be Right. They're kind of like he asks her for forgiveness. It's left very unclear if they're going to like reform their romantic attachment, at least at this point. While it is one thing to be ambiguous about this and and it's maybe a realistic way of looking at it, honestly, sure. like how they're good. It's just not satisfying as an audience member. 
Like, yeah, I hate... if you're going to do all the work of reworking her into the story this much, just go just go for it. Just have it be the dumb fairy tale you, ending at that point. You got to go, which is always a rough thing to say because people say this and then, you know, if it went the other way, you would be complaining. But I honestly think, like you said, John, you got to go all in on this. If you don't, then you're just left with like, what was the point of Belle there? Belle was basically our Cratchit. She was basically our Cratchit. When we already had a Bob Cratchit. So instead of having a Bob Cratchit, we have now a sycophant who works for Scrooge. I don't care about him. So you made me not care about maybe the most iconic character in this piece besides the ghost and Scrooge. Well done. Yeah. Yeah. All um, for so what? All for what? Bell isn't even going to be with him at the end of this. Yeah. Well, his, his sycophancy does pay off because... Uh, uh, the doctor is released and he's, I guess, to save Tiny Tim because he's like a really, really good doctor that can save sickly Victorian children from dying of hypothermia. One um, doctor. One doctor in London. Yep. He's the best. Uh, that's why he's in debt. It, none of it makes any sense. It's the stupidest setup. He, on, like, to be totally honest, if he can save a, a sick, a sickly child of, of a poor Victorian man, in the middle of winter after being dumped with water and then having to walk home to Camden Town, if this doctor can save that kid, he should not be in debt to anyone. None of this makes sense. No. Um, but Bob gets his salary quadrupled. Quadrupled. Uh, he gets what? Marley's office and is made partner. Partner is always a part of it, and it's always good, but like, there was something about him being made partner. It just made me not happy. Like, ugh, you were being groomed for this. And yeah, and it's like Bob's never Bob's not educated. Like Bob's <laughs> Bob's not going to be. A, I'm, I'm sorry. Bob's never going to be partner in this financial firm. Right. That's not a thing that's going to happen. I, he will be a very well paid, well taken care of clerk the rest of his life. But Bob is not a guy who's climbing <laughs> the social ladder. Right. <laughs> It doesn't it, make look, any sense. I'll tell you what, if they want to make that a point in a ver one version about Scrooge, like being a, a classist and like, like, no, like I pay him this much because he's, he's lower than me in society and blah, blah, blah. Like you want to make that a part of a Christmas Carol? I'm good. But this Bob feels like a traitor to me in this version. Yeah. It's not great. Even worse is when they, they, they show that tiny Tim uh, did not die. And we kind of like Scrooge and Bell are together at the end of this so we assume that they're in a relationship um and they talk about how scrooge was like a second father to tiny tim you know after trying to murder him you would think that like at at the very most it would be like tiny tim never wants to see this man again who almost killed him right right like to me it's like how does that person become his second father it makes no sense uh it's an abusive relationship <laughs> yeah it's pretty bad have you seen how he treats his dad <laughs> oh my gosh well and that kind of brings the uh, the animated portion of the story to a close. But we do get one last little button with live action Charles Dickens getting applause from <laughs> this Bostonian audience for telling this weird story with the mice in it. I mean, what year was this? What year? 18. What was it supposed to be? 1863. 1843. 1843. I mean, it was boring and there was nothing going on there, you know. So in Boston, they were they were cool. They were they were down to listen to a stupid story about some mice. 
here's the thing, right? When he when Charles Dickens gets applause for the story, and I feel like I'm watching Mr. Holland's opus or something. It's such a weird. I, it really feels like the beginning and ending of an entirely different movie, and not just because it's not animated. It feels like there's like the the way Simon Callow is playing Charles Dickens and the way the audience responds and the way he's acting at the beginning. It feels like he as a character went on some journey in the telling of the story that we didn't even see. <laughs> it's so weird. It doesn't make any sense. And I can't express why I think that that's how it feels. It just does. The whole the whole bit, right, that Charles Dickens was doing when he was telling the story and including the mice was because this one mouse scared some lady and it was a CGI mouse, which I think we can all assume leads us to believe that there's going to be some shenanigans. And then, of course, uh, as Charles Dickens is receiving his applause, we see this little CGI mouse like scurrying away and then obviously is met by another mouse and they make out like they kiss. <laughs> it's weird. I don't I don't understand why that was there. <laughs> I've seen things you people couldn't believe. I've seen Scrooge throw a bucket of water on Tiny Tim. I've seen the ghost of Christmas present melt the face off a little girl. But I have never seen two CGI mice just going to town on each other. And guess what? Never needed to see it. What furry freak fantasy was this? And I'm sorry, I don't mean to have kink shame here, but this is disgusting. And if this is your stuff, it's so weird. If this is it's... what, if this is what gets you going in the middle of the night, get the hell out of here. This is CGI madness. This is this isn't even the uncanny valley. This is below the it's valley. It's just a weird. Like, were they? Was there a romantic thing going on with Skin Flint and Gabriel in the rest of this movie that I just didn't pick up on? I guess was it like one of those like. Gabriel, they were constantly butting heads, which leads you to the understanding that they're really attracted to each other. Was there a whole subtext that I was missing up until this moment right at the end of the movie? Maybe. Like, honestly, <laughs> like, like, okay, so the mice. Because well, one, because Gabriel, Gabriel is like, hang, hangs around with Belle, right? right? And, and Skin Flint was hanging around with Scrooge. So right. was it like, is that what was going on? If the mice get together, Bell and Scrooge get together. Is it like symbolic? It's something like there is like there's there's a reason for this choice. I don't know what it is. Yeah. Oh, pray with it sail those ships all three on Christmas Day, on Christmas Day. Oh, pray with it sail those ships all three on Christmas Day in the morning. John, can we stop talking about this piece of crap? Well, we can, because that's the end of the movie. Um, I have some questions for you, James. Ask, please. What in this movie is going to get your Christmas turkey? My Christmas turkey, I don't even have to think about it, goes to the majority of the Ghost of Christmas Present sequence, mainly the Ghost of Christmas Present. I think Dumbledore, he brings so much strength to this part. Yeah. Like a Brian Blessed would, right? Like, like, yeah. like, like brings it all in, doesn't let Scrooge off the hook commands every scene and is a memorable performance in a movie with a lot of things that I would like to forget. And yeah. I will remember 
the ignorance and want scene with Dumbledore. I will remember that scene. Yeah. I will forget everything else about this movie. I feel like Michael Gambon's voice uh, really brings across a like the omnipotence that you need for this role. The the right amount of it, if I if like like the Yoda amount, yeah. like Yoda is a trickster. When done correctly, like always cutting a joke, always sniping, but when needs to lay it in and like really say the truth to you and like lay like, yeah. hey, when he needs to be the, the have the literal best line in all of Star Wars. Yes. Right. His monologue about the nature of the force and empire is the best thing that anyone will ever write in <sighs> Star Wars. John, what's your Christmas turkey? <laughs> My Christmas turkey uh, is going to go to the scene with Scrooge's dad. Yeah, I really liked the scene with Scrooge's dad a lot. I thought it gave a really good context for what for the behaviors that we see from this particular Scrooge. And I know for the future, we're going to see other versions and other takes on what Scrooge's dad is like. And it is going to be interesting for us to talk about how when Scrooge's dad appears in these films, it it informs the way that Scrooge is characterized. And I feel like this Scrooge's dad, who basically treats his son as a business transaction and teaches him early on this lesson of like, uh, human beings only exist for the value you can extract from your relationship to them. Um, I think that that was a really good scene that helped me swallow some of what we got from this Scrooge a little bit easier. And I think if that scene hadn't been there, this Scrooge would have been really hard to redeem for me. And ultimately I do think this Scrooge gets to the point of being redeemable just barely. And I think that scene with his dad was what pushed it over the edge for me. Cause having that in the back of my mind and knowing like how hard it is to shake that kind of stuff. Um, that was what my Christmas Turkey is going to be. That's pretty good. Uh, and I would agree. I think that scene and, and the ghost Christmas present are actually again, and there's other little things here in there in here that are good. It's there's there's quality in this piece. It's just the stuff that sucks really drags it down. Um, but James, why don't we talk about the worst things about this movie? And you tell me what you're gonna give a lump of coal to this week. John, if it's the same for both of us, I think it's okay. It's Bob Cratchit. It's Bob Cratchit. It is the Worst Bob Cratchit I have seen, and I I know I've said that before, and guess what? They keep shocking me with how bad they can get this character. It's, it's such a simple character to get. A, 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 an average human being trying to make a living for their family in a world that is hard, okay? And going in and doing the work and really being Sisyphus, honestly. Pushing the boulder up the mountain day in, day out. And just having that brief respite as they walk down. That's the triumph of Sisyphus, right? That's the point of that, you know, the interpretation of that story and that philosophy. Not here. Not this Bob Cratchit. This is someone who, I got to tell you, is not a good person. Is somebody who bends to the whims of whoever is in the room. Scrooge is in the room. He's Scrooge's whipping boy. His wife's in the room. He try, you know, he he bends to her will. Even in that scene when he tries to stick up for Scrooge, the only person he kind of, you know, has control over is Bell because he feels like he can. Right? That's not a good person. Yeah, and it's a gross scene. It's 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 his it's the worst thing I've seen Bob Cratchit do, and 
I shouldn't say Bob Cratchit does something mean or Bob Cratchit does something petty or Bob Cratchit does something to make himself feel superior. I should never say those things. But this movie made me. Yeah. John, what gets your lump of coal? Unexpectedly, we are not going to give out the same lump of coal because my lump of coal goes to Gabriel and Skinflint. I can't ignore it. Literally everything that the mice do in this movie is annoying and dumb and pointless and definitely like a a cynical bid to keep the attention of children on what is ultimately a pretty boring movie, even with their inclusion. Um, I think these mice represent the compromise that is being made by the production of this film to try to be two things at the same time and ultimately failing at both. It is not a children's movie. It, no. it it fails on its face at being a children's movie because it is it is a film about like the problems of middle aged wealthy adults and their childhood traumas and there's a you know skull faced weird child and other like intense imagery it's and but it's not really a film for adults either because every scene is being interrupted by this goofy nonsense with these mice it is a it is a tonal divide that splits this movie in half and it cannot recover from so my lump of coal goes to the mice and and real quick it's not to say that you can't do some version of serious material right but done that is for children right sure watch we're gonna watch ones that are great kids movies right yeah i think yeah i don't want to say that a christmas carol isn't something that kids can enjoy but i think to to make a christmas carol something kids can enjoy you don't you don't put something flashy in there for them to pay attention to while the adults are watching the plot you you simplify the elements of the plot and simplify the ideas right greed is an idea that children can understand and the impact of greed is an idea children can understand and when we watch mickey's christmas carol that is something that we're gonna have to discuss okay that is a really great example of how this can be done pretty well where are my stacks of coins where is my comedic like portrayal of greed it might be a bit on the nose but like you're saying john it gets the message across. It, but it's like a gateway drug right because right. like that's a version of this that i watched when i was a kid and now i'm doing a podcast delving into like the depth of the psychology of this story and all the different ways it can be approached so it's like kids can get the message you just have to deliver it in a way that it makes sense to a kid right and meet them at their level so that they can access it and you're not creating access by putting in goofy cartoon mice what you're doing is turning off your real audience for this which honestly is probably adults and kids aren't going to care about any of the other stuff so it's all pointless john is this movie in your christmas future or are you going to leave it in your past uh uh, it's in my past i'm never i'm never watching this again that's never going to happen there's literally no reason to there's nothing nothing in this film that is the best or even close to being the best version of it that we're ever going to see. No, Um, not even the Dickens stuff at the beginning and end. There's just nothing. There's nothing. It's a nothing burger of a film. Literally. If you want Simon Cowell to be, is that the right name? Callow. 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 Not Simon Cowell from American's Idol. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But like, Simon Cowell, if you want him as Dickens in an episode where that deals with like some sort of weird CGI, you got it. 
<laughs> yeah. Like you really do have that option yeah. there. He gives a great portrayal of Charles Dickens in media that I would rather watch than this movie. Right. And and even the Ghost of Christmas Present, which I really did like in this version, the Richard Williams version is amazing and does it even better. Uh so James, what are we watching next week? Uh, I think we're watching a Christmas Carol, John. <laughs> Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Um, we're going to throw it back. We're right. going to throw it back to a real classic. Uh, we're going to be watching the 1935 black and white uh, Seymour Hicks version of A Christmas Carol. John, I am giving myself a great big hug right now because I can't believe I'm saying this. Black and white Ebenezer Scrooge is like my safe space right now. Like I need to get back to the basics after this. I'm really looking forward to it because, uh, you know, we started with Alistair Sim and I think it's going to be really interesting to see something that um, even predates that. Right. Because we talked like I think Alistair Sim is still the oldest one we've talked about. So this Seymour Hicks version will be the the oldest version that we will have watched so far. Um, I'm interested to see what we have to say about it. I'm feeling I'm feeling like they're not going to screw this one up. I'm worried that by saying that out loud, they're going to screw this one up. But I got a good we'll feeling see. that this we'll is going to be. Is this the oldest I one have we know faith. of? No, there's definitely ones older than this. But this this might be one of the oldest like mainstream versions. That makes sense. I mean, this is public domain. So that's why there are so many dang versions of it. Like there's yeah. no money for the script. Uh, even if you pay somebody, you're probably paying them, you know, pennies on the dollar at that. So, yeah, I think it's going to be great. Um, if you, uh, have any thoughts about that, uh, you're welcome to reach out to us at, uh, Marley is dead pod on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook and you can email us at Jacob Marley is dead at gmail.com. James, what is something that our listeners can do to support us? They could go to iTunes and leave us a five star, five star, five star, five star, five star review, baby. It takes less than five seconds just to click that fifth star. It's, I look, you hear it every episode, you hear it from every content thing in the world, but for some reason, they really care about the reviews. So you're helping us out in a huge way by leaving a five-star review. And those that have, thank you so much. I think I saw that there were six last time on iTunes. Uh, how many do we got now, John? Still six? Uh, when I looked yesterday, we were up to seven. We had a couple of really nice reviews on there. It's, I think by the end of the nice summer. It's nice to know people like it. I think by the end of the summer, we can get that up to 10. Come on, people. You know, go there. Vote often, vote early, all right? Like, <laughs> oh my gosh. Like, like um, wait, strike that. Reverse it. <laughs> yeah, thank you to any of you who have given us uh, a, a review. It, it is it is helpful and it's a nice gesture. Um, thank you also to Milo Newman for our cover art. Thank you to Ben DeVries for our opening, closing, and interstitial music. And thank you listeners for continuing to tune in as we talk about the same story again and again and again, slowly spiraling the drain until we lose our minds. Uh, he ain't lying, folks. He ain't lying. <laughs> we Compare me to episode back each week. Compare me to episode one. And now. Yeah, for real. I've lost my damn mind. <laughs> oh, man. Well, uh, until next time, as Tiny Tim observed. God. Ships.
bless us. Everyone. In the morning.